Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tidal Education Consulting. I'm Pete Wright, and this week on the show, founder and principal of RPK Group, Rick Stasloff, joins Howard Tidal for a conversation on leadership and the critical importance of the business model in creating an environment conducive to innovation. Head over to TidalInc.com to learn more about our work in education. You can subscribe to the show for free. Just click the blue button, and we'll let you know each time a new episode is released. And now, Howard Tidal with guest and friend of the show, Rick Stasloff. You and I travel in in similar circles, but we're also out in the world in education. Let's start off by giving our listeners a chance to learn a little bit about the world you're living in. So, so what's been happening for you in the last, let's say, even one year? Yeah, because you're right. If you go back further, you know, it's like so much change happening in a short period of time. I don't know if you're seeing this, Howard, but it used to be you had to spend time creating urgency, right? You had to sort of convince people, uh, hey, we can't keep doing it the way we're doing it. You know, let's not just try to do it the same way next year, but a little bit better. People actually are there, right? Mm. They, they're sort of at that place of, okay, I get it. I have to change what I'm doing in order to bring the mission forward in a new way in the environment we're living in. And so now they're at a, so how do I do that? Right. So, you know, a lot of what I see is this capacity question, like helping people get a new lens and their own skills up to be able to to take care of their mission, but in a different kind of world. One of the ways we get invited into conversations is through this idea of helping them with change. And one of the stories I often tell is 10 years ago when I would introduce the idea of change management, people wouldn't necessarily roll their eyes, but they wouldn't understand why it was really that important. And my experience has been with the failure of many technology systems, often the ERP systems, people discovered the failure was not the software, although it's easy to blame the software. The failure was bringing people along, right? Right. Understanding that these are not technology projects, these are people projects. And it really took, I think, failures across the industry. And failures, it, it, I actually include the idea that they were not successful. These new systems got put in and we're still paying people and we're still doing all the things the systems do, but they're they're kludgy and they're disruptive and people hate them the first year. And as a result, I think we've discovered, as you say, that People are have a, have a different relationship now to saying, all right, help us with this change. I think language is a very big part of this, right? That that people understand, understand the language, even though we talk about the business model, right? Right. When you think about the business model, you know, if you were harping on this 10 years ago, or, and now you're talking about it now, it feels like they know how to meet us in that conversation. Yeah, a little bit. There's not that instant pushback we used to get, right? We're not a training institute. That's too corporate. Even, you know, I can say words like return on investment, and people, you know, are listening. But yes. it does require kind of a redefinition, right? So that, you know, hey, we're finance people, but you're absolutely right in your point that, but it's ultimately about people and their time and what they do with their time and how we're using our creativity and bandwidth. So here's something, by the way, I heard about you. You're like, oh my, what is he going to say? This is Uh-oh. good. Uh-oh. So a little birdie told me, what shared an anecdote with me that one of the things that you do well, and I knew this about you, but it was great to hear this from uh, an institution leader, is that you have a way of building trust with the faculty. 
you grew up through the administrative business side of the house. You lived the world for those that you were supporting. And to me, the, the real challenge is how do you engage faculty in the conversation as opposed to having to impose something on them. I think that was a great thing to hear, and I'm sure it's great for you to hear that. But what does that mean to you to, to actually build relationship with faculty? Boy, you know, we started off our conversation today about change, right? And when you think about the heart of an institution, right, lots of good people doing good things. But at the end of the day, we're there to educate students, right? And the heart of that, whatever you want to call it, is being driven by the faculty. If we can't engage them in that change process, if you can't find a way to talk to faculty about the business model without breaking the fabric of the institution, you're never right. really going to get there. Yeah. And so for me, those are the, those are the great moments, you know, now different ways to get in, you know, if I'm standing in front of the room and feeling provocative, you know, I'll say something. And the other week I said, uh, I don't think faculty own the curriculum. And boy, you know, they loved that. But what did I mean? What happens in the classroom? Yeah. But in terms of what we teach to whom, how, you know, that's a broader conversation and we need to let people into that conversation. But on the flip side, you know, on the one hand, you might think, well, people will say, well, faculty don't care about ROI. Well, they do if we start to show them new ways they can harvest resources, time and talent and money to do the new things they want to do to bring their department or their field forward, right? Everybody's got a short list of things you would like to invest in. We just don't have the ability to write that check. Well, now if we sit down and say, here's how we do what we do in a high quality way, and now you've got resources to go create that new program or grow this existing program or invest in professional development or compensation. Now we're showing not, uh, we're gonna do this to you, but how do we engage with you as a partner and give you new tools, increase capacity to really do this thing you love doing, which is bringing learning to students? That's, That's a very different conversation. It is a very different conversation. And I think it does require reframing, as you just said, whether it's the faculty don't own the curriculum or getting them into a conversation about thinking more broadly and deeply about the interdependencies and the value that different roles bring to the mission. One of the one of the blindness uh, that I think we have is that we, we see things from our perspective, right? And I think we also have a a prejudice or a bias that our perspective is right. So for administrators, it's we need to find a way to make this financially viable, sustainable, long term. And that's going to meet the mission. And the academic side of the house is saying the focus really is the experience in our teaching and research. And as administrators, you don't understand the nature of truly of the priorities. So there is this disconnect in thinking and language between those two bodies. So one of the things I'm curious about then I'd love to hear from you first on this, is how do you get, when you, when you bring administrators and academics together, how do you get them to have a productive conversation? Well, I think first is you've got to give everybody a new lens. And you said something really important a minute ago, and that is that more holistic view. you got to connect the dots. We've come at it from an approach that says you can either have quality, right, 
And of course, you always want that. Or you can focus on student success, or we can think about return on investment, net revenue, right? And we pretend as if those are three separate things, right? And, you know, we've come at it and saying, well, yeah, if we're going to focus on net revenue, oh, obviously we don't care about quality or students, right? Or, well, if we're just going to focus on students and their success, but we're going to let go of quality and who knows what that'll cost. Or if we just focus on quality, we can't write the check, right? So it's, mm. you get trapped in that conversation because it comes at it as an assumption that uh, those three things can't be thought together. Yeah. And we try to flip that and say, I don't know in the world we live in today how you can invest in quality and student success without paying attention to the business model, right? They all depend on the other. But the flip side is the same that, well, if, if we're looking at the business model and driving lots of net revenue, but not meeting the needs of students or maintaining quality, that's not success either. So maybe the short way to say it, Howard, is I always start by saying, let's talk about what's, what success is here, right? And you get them to, to redefine, if we did this and it worked, how would life be different? I love and that. And that's really key. That's why I think you and I are kindred, kindred spirits. You just went to something that I find to be the entry point to, and one of the things that I'll use is this idea of headlining. If you were to headline your success from, from some future time, what would the story be? And what's interesting about headlining is it's really about what is the hook that you want others to be saying? And it needs to be something that's compelling, understandable, succinct. And a headline is a good representation of that. And, and it's from a future state. And people are not used to thinking that way. Even, even to what you were just saying, they're not used to thinking, all right, let's have a success conversation. They're used to having the conversation, here's a problem we need to solve. I had a conversation with Brad Allenby, who is a professor at Arizona State, and he made a really interesting, simple observation. He said, you know, by and large, American education is very successful. And he said, if you go to IBM, when they were selling mainframes, there was nothing you could do to suggest to them that they got a problem and they got to rethink their business model. It was only when the mainframe business fell out that the mindset of change or die really shows up. And there's so much talk today about the business model. And when I, when I hear that story and it resonates with me and I try and extrapolate what's relevant to these conversations that everybody's engaging in around the business model and whether it's broken. I find it it holds together as a concept, but in other ways it doesn't. Yeah. And it it either feels like we don't have a sufficient enough disruption, external disruption, that's causing schools to really care, or really the way we have to keep thinking about this is one school at a time, one university at a time, one college at a time, and, you know, maybe a sector, but it, it still feels like there's an incremental mindset out there, even though the world is changing at such a rapid pace. And a part of it, you know, is... It, it's hard, right? I was talking to a reporter yesterday, and she was talking about, you know, strains in the higher education space in their particular area. And she said, you know, Rick, I hear that, you know, we're going to see more college closures. You know, I said to her, 
this is actually part of the problem in that, yeah, that's probably going to happen. But think about like Moody's most recent, you know, pronouncement, right? Moody said the number of colleges which will close in the United States is going to triple, right? That was the headline. But now let's think about the number. The tripling means we could go from five a year, which has been the average, to 15. So it's a very, you know, it's tripled, it's 15. Like, let's keep that in mind. So on the one hand, everything you and I and people who are in this space know about the pressures to the model are absolutely real. It's actually sort of amazing we aren't seeing more closures and mergers and all, all that stuff going on because every year it just gets worse shows, and worse and worse. It shows the resiliency. To me, it shows the, a level of denial but, but it's not even denial, Rick. I think that there is a reality that not enough uh, disruption or contingencies sh- are showing up that are getting people to say, this is the time to make a change. I think the way you're laying this out is where we are. You're right. Is that the conditions for that, those more mass extinction events? <laughs> There's a, there you go. You know, that the, that environment Everything we know that is putting pressure on the space every year gets ratcheted up, ratcheted up, ratcheted up, ratcheted up. But because we actually don't see any significant result yet, people assume like, well, it's not that bad. you know. And I think it's leading to a point where all of a sudden people are going to go, holy cow, how did all these institutions suddenly get so threatened, right? That's and they'll, right. they'll miss the, the sort of the lead up that's been happening for right. 10, 15 years to it. And I think that's where we're living right now. So if you want to be in denial, you can say, look, Howard Rick, you know, look, yeah, a couple institutions, but overall things are tough, but yeah. we're okay. Until well, all of a sudden you're not okay. Well, and you're really not okay. Where does the urgency live? Yeah. It lives in leadership's capacity and willingness to have a vision and be willing to disrupt from the inside. And both you and I know how many leaders are unwilling to go there. And in some ways, you could understand why. If I was a president or chancellor of an institution, am I going to uh, rethink our delivery of education, knowing that the model is going to be changing and is continuing to change in terms of the use of online and personalization of education. At the same time, we're still enrolling students. There's this tension between how do we experiment? I mean, that's the thing that we're doing more of is helping schools think about experimenting around executing uh, to reduce cost and to raise revenue and to do it in a way that allows for greater risk. But I'll tell you something, I can talk about this till I'm blue in the face. And if I have a leader that doesn't want to go there, it's not happening. Absolutely not. But so in th- terms of where that pressure is coming from, you know, like what would cause the disruption? Well, you know, for a long time, I thought it was good with the pressure that the for-profits were bringing to the space. Regardless of how you think about the for-profit space, whether you like it or you don't, one of the good things was it was pushing, right? So yes. that there could be some pressure for change. But then the for-profits just got, you know, smashed really by the feds in a lot of ways, you know, which pushed back on some of that innovation. And it took a little bit, I think, of some of that urgency off in part. In terms of, though, where where does the change need to happen? I mean, to me, I always come back to where the students are, right? Mm. I mean, the reality is 
if you look at, let's just take the two-year and four-year publics, right? That's almost 75% of where students are today, right? I mean, that's where most of the students are. About uh, 20% are in private, you know, institutions. So sometimes I think people have thought about, well, forget the traditional spaces, public or private, you know, we're going to have to innovate from outside of that. Okay, there's some truth to that. But if 80% plus of the students are in the traditional model, and you don't innovate that model, what does that say about your ability to bring needed change to where the students are today? And so your point about, okay, now how do I try to innovate in that space becomes a really critical question. Uh, I think no doubt the lack of capacity to support that kind of change is really significant right now from a leadership perspective, from a tools perspective, from a lens and messaging and communication perspective that we've now given a new set of criteria to institutions. And I think leadership uh, is real good about uh, incremental change in the old world and not real good about the more significant change that needs to happen in the world we're in. So how do you and I and others help get that capacity up. Talk a little bit about some examples from the field that you're working in so that our listeners can hear the kinds of things that maybe they should be thinking about, whether you're on the academic side or administrative side, or even if you're a provider of services to try and get schools to innovate and move forward. Sure. You know, if you're going to come in through that door of the business model, you know, and we we can get people there and be comfortable that we're really talking about change and culture and people and how they're using their time and different return on that time. You know, we tend to start looking at either the administrative portfolio or the administrative services portfolio. Right. So, you know, the question is, hey, I offer all these programs. Who wants them? Who comes? What does it cost me to provide them? And what's the net revenue I generate? Literally, how much do I make on history versus engineering versus English? Um, not because I should only offer things that generate net revenue, but I need to know that, right? So I know if I'm going to reallocate, what do I reallocate from? What do I reallocate to? Combined with an academic efficiency analysis. Could I offer what I'm offering today at lower cost while maintaining quality and now harvest those resources back to reinvest in the institution? So we see, you know, lots of institutions around the country that are going down that path. And it's probably the number one thing we get asked to do is help me take apart the university from this core perspective and reassemble it in a way that meets the mission but at the same time connects to the business model. And that's that's working, you know, and I see it actually creates engagement because we're now talking about the business model in a way that's bringing people into the conversation. So let me, let me ask you another question. So I was talking with somebody that I'm studying with and he made the point, you know, I'll lead a board retreat, I'll lead a senior leadership retreat, I'll bring together faculty or deans create this experience where there is this sense of uh, maybe we can do this in a sense maybe of optimism and get, you get some momentum. In your case, you get some momentum with presenting data in front of them. And then you go away and you come back six months to check in and either the change or the, the, the actual impact that was so present in the experience of the work was dissipated. 
the, the real challenge in my work after 28 years is not about how to get in the door and produce the kind of good moods yeah. that I can produce, but how to actually have it get a life of its own. I think that is the challenge right now. You know, I had a long conversation with a group of funders recently, and, you know, the invitation was to come in and talk about the next innovation. What, where should we put money? What's the next thing to do to, you know, support student success and all of that? And my response to them was, you don't need to invest in the next innovation. You need to invest in creating sustainable innovation. Because if we come in, right, no matter how good we are, how much best practice, all of that, and we have a great event, uh, you're right. When you go away, it doesn't sustain, right? And yeah. we actually have to get that change woven into the very fabric of the organization. And so I'm finding you have to go really deep, you know, in terms of that handholding and technical assistance and the knowledge transfer, right, that has to happen, that I'm amazed at how many touches it takes over a long period of time. Because yeah. what you want ultimately is for it not even to be seen as innovation. It's like, well, of course, that's how we do it. Yeah, that's just, uh, yeah, it's Monday morning. That's how we think about the institution, right? And that's a different kind of animal in terms of how you think about your contribution to the space yes. as you think about what it means from leadership. And I think about that for the field as a whole because, you know, for you and I as an N of two, Howard, you think, how many planes can I get on? You know, <laughs> like, like there's only so many touches you can have. We have to yeah. get the institutions themselves to be their own engines of change. I'm having more fun than ever. Good. Now, here's what's interesting about fun. I, this is not to minimize the challenge. I'll be with institution leaders, and I, you know, my sense is as you and I engage more in this, we have greater capacity to understand how to be in the conversation. And when I when I say fun, it's more about I think I I think this is such an exciting time to be in this field because you got people meeting you now in a way that they weren't. Ten years ago, Rick, you and I were pulling teeth to get the kind of conversations happening. Right. And now it feels like that is shifted. People are saying, we do need help and we do want to learn. I tell, I tell leaders, you've got to focus beyond even your legacy. You get excited, you want to be part of something, you want to see it come to fruition. But the truth is, you may not be around to see the success you've produced. This is going to live beyond even our contribution. I've only been thinking about that more recently, and I think we have to help leaders recognize that it's not just about what you can produce as an outcome. Because think about it. A president's term is anywhere between five and eight or ten years. If, if, if what we're focusing on is your term or what you want to get done, as opposed to the handoff that this might be a 20-year conversation and the change you're talking about is going to be realized after your term, I'm not sure people are thinking that way. You're really ultimately resetting the foundation. And if we can, in, in our work, and again, many wonderful people who contribute to it, if we can't get into learning and how learning happens, 
Mm. ultimately, right? That's really the point. And so even in some of these conversations, you're still playing around the edge like, oh, we can find some cost savings and efficiencies. You know, that's great. Uh, That really is. Any organization should be doing that. You should be thinking about how do I do next year what I do now, but do it better. Okay. But that doesn't get it at the end of the day. This is a really fundamental transformation of how learning happens, how we deliver it, and how we create sustainability around that. And if you don't get that, you're just kind of playing, right? I love that you said this because in many ways, I think the value that you produce is really about having greater capacity to deal with what's in front of them, even if it's three, five years down the road. But ultimately, we're not talking about getting through the next business cycle or budget cycle, which in many ways is an important thing to do, sure. but, it, but it's not the point. And I, and I love that you and I have to find a way to remind people of this. At the same time, there's a reality. How do we balance next year's budget? What's your experience of the willingness to take risks? Do you see a shift happening with education leaders? I think the future of higher ed depends on our ability to place bigger bets, right? And so the reality of higher ed today is we like to give a little bit to a lot. So think about resource allocation, you know, or or where we give our time, right? We, We tend to give a little bit of new resource or time or energy to lots of things, right? That's that sort of incremental approach. And I think what we have to do is give more to less, which means though you have to know, I'm making a bigger bet. Where do I put those chips, right? Now, part of being able to do that with greater comfort is by knowing, understanding the business model, I think, what drives our economic engine, what uh, helps us reinvest in student success and the mission. Once you know that, you can more confidently make these bigger bets, which are not just about the economic return. I think that frees institutions up. And part of the reasons we're risk averse are because we really don't understand how we make a living now. So how would I know how I might shift everything I do in terms of some future state And that's what I think in your great work, you know, I've heard you so often talk about shared future vision. And, you know, again, that idea of it's five years from now, what does it look like really helps people see it's not these 50 things or these 10 things. It's those two Mm. or three things we have to get right. And And you give people permission. But then to get them in a in a way that involves uh, consensus to come together and say, here's our priority. It's like getting five people to agree on a movie. When's the last time you saw five people agreeing on a movie to go see? It's hard hard enough to do it with two people. So I think that is, if we're going to get anywhere, it's, it is, you know, and I'm not talking about the enlightened dictator model, emphasis on enlightened, but it is that ability to have (laughs) an idea of where we're moving towards. Right. And to be able to share that with good data and say, let's go. And, you know, that's what higher ed needs to see more of. Yeah, I think this is the title of the podcast, yeah. the, the Enlightened Dictator Model. Emphasis on Enlightened. Uh, yeah, and people are going to be like, when does that get brought up? And they're going to hear it at the end. <laughs> There's something really interesting about that, Rick. It's let's go. You know, but, you know, again, you talked earlier about those components, too, of that servant leadership, which is 
it's not really about me. It's about where the institution is going to be 10 years from now, and, and I may or may not be there. Yeah, I had the opportunity with my wife to go on the Women's March, and it was amazing, right? 100,000 people. And I, th- I was thinking about where we are and where people's heads are and and the fact that I am more engaged in this because of the shift into who is now leading our country. Mm-hmm. I am paying more attention in a different way. Higher education, that if you read the Chronicle and you read the daily feeds, you see an increasing awareness of trying to get us to pay attention to this. You can make an argument that we're in a place now where institutions are going to recognize they need to take responsibility yeah. for these decisions, oh, oh, right? That's a huge part of where we're going. The feds are going to get out of that part of the business. They're not going to lead. And it, it's like time to step up, everybody. That's right. This could be an unintended positive outcome. Yeah, I agree. From a, from a very what, – what from my personal point of view, is an unfortunate outcome. But that needs to be part of the message, which I know is exactly where you're coming from, is get your hands on the wheel. You know, look at all of this that you control. That's right. Now you just have to think differently about what you want to do with it. And you're right. That urgency could come back in a tough way in terms of all the things we're wrestling with already in the external environment are only going to ramp up more. I have a number of institutions in Missouri I'm working with, you know, pretty significant sudden cuts on the public side in higher ed that just – the increasing privatization model on Absolutely. the public side is a isn't reality. I mean, it's just coming on the yeah. pri- private side already. Yeah, we have all the everything we know about price constraints and demographic and, shifts, and it's forcing them to understand their model in a way yeah. they didn't have to in the past. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, you 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 have to engage there, and that's I think that will become one of the hallmarks of good leadership is. Is the you know not being afraid to confront where are we right now and not waiting to be rescued and knowing that you have to make this shift and if you're starting today you're already a little behind, right? right? So get going. Exactly. Get going. All right. Any fi- this is great for me. This is this is a nice catch up for you and I. We haven't t- had this kind of conversation in uh, in a long time. So I'm so appreciative of you being willing to be on the show. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. Huh? Any um any final thoughts about what you got in front of you? You know, to me, I, I think it's the doability. You know, and it's not just a desire to end on a positive note, but everything you and I are changing, which is let's not kid ourselves about the enormity of the change that's required. It's totally doable. I have absolutely zero doubt when I wake up in the morning that higher ed can change and move in this direction. I really do. And I think we're seeing good leaders and models emerge that we can point to and say, it's not perfect. But look, they are moving in the right direction so that people have some models and things that can help them see what it could look like 10, 20 years from now when we're on the beach. I would just typically be quiet after such a great close. That's exactly the message that I think 
I can be reminded, we all need to be reminded about because it's easy to fall into a mood of can we really do it or even a sense of negativity like it's, yeah. it seems too big and I, I think we got to remind ourselves and each other of this so thank you for that that's excellent you can swipe over in your podcast app and see show notes for this episode including the link to Rick's Chronicle piece mentioned on the show thanks everyone for downloading and listening to the show this week on behalf of Rick Stasloff and Howard Teibel I'm Pete Wright and we'll be back next time right here on Navigating Change the podcast from Tybal Education Consulting. <laughs>